0: If you do not make time for exercise, well then, you'll probably have to make time for illness. And once you start exercising regularly, the hardest thing to do is to stop. And let me tell you, we do not stop exercising because we grow old. We grow old because we stop exercising. Oh man, I'm laying down the quotes on this one. So very excited. Today to be talking to you about physical activity. Welcome to the dojo. Yes, today we are talking about something that is so near and dear to my heart. It's about moving, being physically active. And I wanna preface this by saying that I have a lot of experience in the realm of adaptive physical activity. That is teaching people with disabilities how they too, we too, can be physically active no matter what kind of disability we have. I have a whole lot of experience with a variety of different types of disabilities, Um, people who have been quadriplegic and trying to get them physically active, all the way to people that have autism and other cognitive disabilities, people that are blind, that are deaf, cerebral palsy, and many more. And the beauty of adaptive physical activity is that we can modify movements that are based on people's capabilities and skills and ways of moving and learning in a way that we too can be physically active. I recognize that as I go on and speak here, not everybody can do everything that I'm talking about, but we can learn to adapt and modify almost any physical activity for just about everybody in some form or another. And so I wanna preface the conversation with talking about adaptive physical activity, even for myself. You know, I'm legally blind and being physically active has limitations for myself as well, especially anything that involves eye hand, eye foot coordination and uh, those other kind of things. So it can be limiting for myself and I have to adapt as well, but that's the beauty of it. And uh, yeah, so we're gonna get going and talk about some things that are very important to know about regarding physical activity and one of the i think the biggest things for me when i look at why being physically active is so so very important i find it to be one of the most important health enhancing physical things that we can be doing when we look at the research related to increasing lifespan and preventing the top chronic diseases that impact Americans, such as heart disease, cancer, diabetes, respiratory diseases, stroke, etc. One of the most impactful things that we can do is to be physically active. And uh, this uh, helps in so many ways. There's so much research out there that shows that we will live longer that we will be more resilient to those chronic diseases, that we'll be happier. And we talk about quality of life and our our engagement and enjoyment in it and our energy to meet the demands of day-to-day lives. Physical activity is wonderful. When we're physically active, it it does require our energy systems to be taxed. And the wonderful, awesome thing about our bodies is that it adapts. It'll say, oh, you know, this person has put me through some physical activity that I wasn't used to. And now I'm going to have to increase my energy stores, my metabolism, so that it's ready just in case we happen to do it again you know it's just uh, very important for that reason but not just for physical health though mental health as well and there's an abundance of research out there that shows how physical activity has been shown to be more effective often than pharmaceutical approaches to addressing mental health. It really does help to increase the serotonin and dopamine and helps to abate cortisol and other stress hormones in such a profound way. And and when we look at the, you know, modern stress that we're under, it's largely psychological. And what happens when we experience psychological stress? Well, a lot happens. Uh, One thing our blood gets redirected from uh, our skin and goes towards our large muscle groups it's preparing itself to be physically active our heart rate increases uh, the amount of blood that's being pumped into and away from our heart significantly goes up as does our metabolism for me- you know creating energy our thermoregulatory system we starts to increase as well, our senses start to sharpen. Why is all this happening to our body when we're going through psychological stress? Well, we're getting prepared to either fight or flee. Our modern stress tends to be psychological. Our body physiologically is getting geared up to be physically active. And what do we do? We sit. We sit on our, on our couch, we sit in our car, we're sitting at our desks, we tend to sit. Sitting's the new smoking, right? I think by now everybody's almost heard of that. And so what is happening physiologically is that our body, as it's gearing up, is pushing on the accelerator. Everything's starting to speed up. Yet we're sitting, which means we're pushing on the brakes. What happens when we're in a car? When we push on the gas pedal and the brakes at the same times, you know, it just starts to spin out. What happens is it creates the same stress in a car as it does our bodies. It creates dis-ease, disease often uh, accumulates out of this. And so if we can be physically active in the face of psychological stress, we are using our physiology to do what it's intended to do. And I find that to be one of the most important reasons to do physical activity is because it's in line with nature. You know, our body's getting ready to be physically active, so be physically active, if at all possible. You know, it can be a really awesome way to managing and and coping with the stress that that we're going through in our day-to-day lives. Physical activity and people that are more physically active is associated with other health enhancing behaviors. So the first study that I got to be a a lead author on looked at over 800 high school students, and we categorized them based on their amount of physical activity that they were getting. So we were able to break them up into several groups. We had one group that were regular, vigorous participants in regular physical activity. So they exercised you know, more than four days a week. And then we had another group that was moderate, which was around two days a, uh, a week. And then we had those that were either completely sedentary or maybe were only physically active one day a week. And what we found was that the, the group that was regularly physically active tended to eat healthier, to get better sleep, to be less likely to use tobacco and other drugs, you know, so we, we were looking at this and we we're like, wow, the idea was, is um, if we could intervene on one health behavior, would that then enhance other health behaviors and, and looking at interventions that did that? And we looked at physical activity as being one of those portals, those, those health behaviors that would enhance other types of health behaviors. And so if we're more physically active, we're more likely to get better sleep. We could be perhaps looking at healthier foods to eat because uh, we want to make sure that you know, we're putting the good gas in, in the car, so to speak, and uh, be able to do that. And then it can impact other uh, health-enhancing behaviors. So that's another reason on why physical activity is super important. I found through my experiences the importance of what's called social and emotional well-being. Is very important as well, and what do I mean by that? Well, I, I got into promoting physical activity in, in a couple different domains. You know, after being an athlete, and certainly from my experience in being an athlete, I found that it, it did improve my social health. I made lifelong friends, friends that I still have to this day through my participation in athletics. Going through athletics with other people brings you really close together, and so I found that the social component of uh, being physically active was very important, but it also allowed me to understand uh, my own emotions and to understand life and uh, the challenges. If Listen, if a metaphor about life is related to sports, I can understand it. If it's not, I can, I probably won't be able to understand it. So anything I, I really can say that I've, I've come to learn about life has come through the lens of athletics. And so that's been something that's helped my social and emotional growth out big time. But when I began coaching, Athletics, I really started to then see the you know not just the social dynamics but realizing that each of the athletes I was coaching was different. They were motivated differently, they responded emotionally differently, and realized that the impact that just being active would have as a springboard into their lives. And this was especially true when I was a physical educator and, you know, saw then, you know, not just athletes, but almost, you know, all the students were required to, you know, take this class. But it, it was just a way to help to get kids out of a desk and into an environment where they had to interact and engage with one another. And through that interaction and relationships, really found that physical activity was a good way to teach Communication skills, problem-solving skills, and, and all different kinds of things uh, that came along with it, how to win, how to lose. All that stuff came along with the uh, emotional learning that uh, you know, coaching or athletics or, or physical activity could do. But one, one of the areas I, I really found that it to be helpful in was my experiences. When I was working with the Department of Child and Family Services as a counselor for Wayward Youth who were remanded into state custody, you know, one of the things that I did as a counselor, I didn't, you know, just try to connect with them in a sedentary environment. I would take them out and let's go shoot hoops, and, and in the process of, uh, you know, playing basketball or, you know, just taking walks or um, a n- number of things I would do to to get them moving. We would talk about life. It was so much easier for them to talk about life than to. You know, just throw them on a couch and say, tell me your problems. Uh, It really helped to open the door. And when I worked for a very innovative, non-for-profit group out in Colorado, where we brought in kids from New York to L.A. who came from low-income neighborhoods and, you know, had some very challenging backgrounds, you know, we threw them into all kinds of outdoor adventure activities, and through that, we really were able to connect with them socially and emotionally and be able to, to do those kind of things. I also was involved with a, with a program here at the University of Florida and did a lot of uh, work and research uh, around a service-oriented project where we had high school students who had cognitive disabilities come to the university and get paired with a couple age peered young adults who were students at the university and we trained them on how to work with the students who had you know autism or down syndrome and whatnot uh, to meet with them a couple times a week and take them through structured physical activity individual activity and group team oriented physical activities and we did this Throughout the whole year, uh, multiple weeks, we did pre and post assessments on the health and well-being of the students who had intellectual disabilities, and they improved over time. But what we really saw was how, you know, having young adults who had disabilities and did not have disabilities coming together significantly improved how they communicated with one another, how they related to each other, how it really improved emotions before and after in both groups, uh, how the moods improved and and how it was a really great way to reduce stress. And it was just really, really, really awesome to see these kind of things. And and now in my everyday life, uh, man, like physical activity really helps me to govern my thoughts. To be more present, to be more aware, it gets me really in a place where I I can be present with my thoughts and and govern my emotions better. And it's just been really good for my own personal, social, emotional well-being. So again, another why. Physical activity and increased physical activity has been shown to improve academic performance. So if you're a student or if you're just trying to learn or or acquire new, new skills, learn a new language, be physically active. You know, this has been shown to increase focus and so many other different types of cognitive-based outcomes. It's improved work. I encourage all our staff here at our center to take breaks throughout the day, especially if we're doing office works and take walks or, or do all kinds of different calisthenic-type exercises that they can do. Um, the ideal being you know, maybe working for half an hour and then take five minutes of being physically active, move around. It's been shown to greatly enhance productivity. And it's kind of counterintuitive. You know, taking a break from doing work to be physically active actually does increase our capacity to do work better. And so there's just so many reasons why we should be physically active. And so the CDC does have some recommendations on how much physical activity we should be getting in a week. The CDC and prevention recommends that we should be getting a minimum of 150 minutes of moderate physical activity each week. So what does that mean? That means basically two and a half hours of physical activity, structured physical activity, moderate, which means um, we're not going all out and, and we're not completely sedentary. We're somewhere in between, like perhaps we'd still be able to have you know, a conversation. Maybe we'd sound out a, a little out of breath while being physically active. And they and they give us some total of two hours and 30 minutes throughout the week. Ideally, that would be five days a week at 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be consecutive minutes, although they do recommend at least, you know, engaging in physical activity that's at least 10 or 15 minutes long. And, and perhaps, you know, it could mean that for twice a day, physical activity for 15 minutes. Or it could be, you know, maybe there's a, you know, three days where people are, are being physically active for 45 minutes each day. There's so many different ways to chunk that out over the course of a week. Yeah, so that's the CDC recommendations. Most people do not meet them. The younger we are, uh, the more likely are we are to meet them. But as we get older, uh, the less likely we are to meet those basic minimum recommendations. I'm going to talk here uh, about some of the um, education-based aspects of physical activity and being physically active. I'm going to talk about the components of fitness, and I'm going to talk about the principles of fitness. So the components of fitness, there's five of them. Um, these would be cardiorespiratory fitness. This would be muscular endurance, muscular strength, flexibility, and body composition. So, those are the five components of fitness. Cardiorespiratory fitness is the ability of our heart and lungs to be engaged in activity for prolonged periods of time. Lungs are the most vital organs in our body. Of course, you know, producing blood with our respiratory system. This is ensuring that our bodies are very efficient at taking in oxygen and converting it to energy. This is the theme of the series here is energy. And so these organs are vital in that. And when we look at chronic disease, again, the top killer in our country is heart disease followed by respiratory disease. And cardiorespiratory fitness is the most important component of fitness in terms of longevity and preventing disease. And the beautiful thing about cardiorespiratory fitness is that it is something that we can sustain pretty well, uh, well into older years. It doesn't necessarily diminish the way that say the other components of fitness can diminish over time such as muscular strength or muscular endurance you know we can stay at, at pretty pretty good solid levels of healthy cardiorespiratory fitness over time uh, with consistency And so uh, cardiorespiratory fitness, and there's so many different ways of of getting cardiorespiratory fitness or through walking, jogging, swimming, biking, calisthenics, which nowadays is known as like functional training. There's all different kinds of things that we can do that uh, would engage us, dancing, so many different ways that we can be getting in aerobic type fitness, cardiorespiratory fitness. Aerobic is another uh, name for that. Muscular endurance, it's the ability for our muscles to repeatedly exert itself over time with a moderate resistance or a light resistance. And so that's very important. Again, that can complement cardiorespiratory fitness. Muscular strength is the ability for us to exert the maximal amount of force through one repetition of movement. This can be very important for a variety of reasons, and at the same time, it comes with a word of caution. People would need to be very much trained and have some fitness underneath their belt before anyone would try and exert themselves with maximal effort at one point in time. So that would need to be under supervision and or a lot of experience before someone would uh, be able to do that because we would not want to exert ourselves with maximal full effort through one repetition or a few repetitions of movement without already being conditioned and, and knowing certain principles that we'll, we'll get to in terms of biomechanics and and, and making sure that you got the right form and doing all those other kind of things. And you know, this can be something that, you know, in our culture is very appealing to males and some females for sure. And it is not necessarily the most important component of fitness related to longevity and and necessarily for health and and often uh, might not be the most realistic in our day-to-day activities. Like, you know, it can be very realistic that we would need cardiorespiratory fitness uh, to have the energy levels to meet the demands. But look, if you're encountering things uh, in your day-to-day life that require maximal exertion, um, get a dolly. Get another person to help lift something up if you're looking at doing something like that. I, I hope rarely we're put in positions where we got to exert ourselves like that, uh, but sometimes we might. And, and so there's the word of caution with uh, muscular strength. Flexibility is the uh, next component of fitness, and that is the ability of our, our, our joints in our body to have a you know, range of motion in them. And so there's many different, you know, types of joints in our body, you know, the hinge joints being like, you know, our knees or elbows and our shoulders, you know, our rotational joints, uh, you know, ball and socket joints, you know, our hips, shoulders would include those, you know, and our ankles. and, and, And these are very important. They have tendons, they have ligaments and our ability to to have a a good degree of range of motion in them is so vital to our skeletal muscular health. And this component of fitness can be one that even when people are physically active tends to be the most neglected and yet could be one of the most important. Thank you, yoga and Pilates and all these different types of forms of ways of increasing our range of motion have become popularized over the years. And is, is super, super important that we do that, especially in terms of injury prevention and, and keeping our body in really good shape. Uh, body composition. So this is our ratio of lean body mass to fat, adipose tissue in our bodies. There's a lot of different ways that we can assess you know, our body composition. The true measures would be from sophisticated technologies like DEXA scans, which, you know, can scan our bodies and, and tell us just about everything that we would know, wanna know, uh, in terms of percentage of body fat and actual lean body mass to you know, uh, bone density and and what we had for breakfast, and and you know most people don't have access to one of these things. Uh, the next best out there would be hydrostatic weighing, which people don't have access to that kind of equipment either. But um, sometimes people would have access to assessing our body composition through what's known as skin calipers, and these things are ways of. You know where we could pinch our skin and, and get you know multiple readings throughout different sites on the body and that could be one way of doing it. That can be limited though because it does take an expert to do it. And not everybody maybe pinching people the same to get the same assessments. And then electrical impedance. So there's certain scales out there where we would hold with our hands. And, and maybe they could uh, also have some foot pads that send electrical currents through us. Not to shock you, but to be able to basically determine through some waves that are sent through us. Estimate our body fat and lean body mass, but those have limitations too. It could be affected by hydration, it could be affected by what we ate or if we we're physically active. Uh, the most common form, though, is a, a scale, you know, weighing ourselves. There's, you know, body mass index that, you know, we could use height and the weight of a scale. And then um, if we're measuring our hips, all three together the scale, the height, and measuring our waistline, all three together can be more effective than any one of those by itself. And so, the, yeah, there's different ways of doing body composition uh, that are in there. And so those are the components of fitness that are, are, are important to understand and to keep in mind anytime that we're active. You know, we would be engaging either cardiorespiratory fitness, muscular endurance, muscular strength, flexibility. All of them will have an impact likely on our, on our body composition. And here's where I'm going to uh, say a big note of caution. I recommend uh, not weighing ourselves. Maybe on a certain individual level, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it could be merited. But um, what I find, there's this area of public health promotion called weight management where people are trying to lose weight and they're using the scale to determine if they're successful or not successful. And when we look at the research, 90% of people who are trying to lose weight gain it back, who are successful in losing weight within the six months to a year uh, it has the same success rate as quitting smoking which is very difficult. Uh, most people that attempt to quit smoking like 90% go back to smoking. What ends up happening I find is that people who are using you know the scale or even other better forms of uh, body composition measures it really is a psychological damage i think people are doing even the health benefits over time of this yo-yo uh, up and down of, of or our body weight tends to be questionable as well or can we even achieving any physical health benefits from it I would suggest if we got to use numbers using different numbers than a scale or body composition measures for example heart rate like it's fully uh, achievable for somebody who may not be physically active or just a little bit of physical activity to reduce their resting heart rate by five beats a minute by just doing you know maybe two or three, times a week, 10 to 15 minute bouts of walking or just mild forms of physical activity can reduce their heart rate by five beats a minute. If we're able to reduce our heart rate by five beats a minute through barely increasing our physical activity levels, that means that in an hour, you know, our heart did not have to beat 300 times. In an hour, you know, we will have saved 300 heartbeats. You know, that's a muscle, our heart's a muscle and it gets to rest. 300 times in an hour, extrapolate that out to like, you know, 24 hours in a day. I don't have a calculator in front of me and I'm not a mathematician. That would uh, almost equilibrate to like an hour's worth of time. Uh, If we are averaging, you know, around like 100 heartbeats a minute throughout the day, it's going to save us our heart so much time every day that it didn't have to beat because it's stronger. It's not having to beat as frequently to get the heart uh, rate populated. So focus on heart rate. Focus on, um, you know, the scale doesn't pick up on blood sugar. The scale doesn't pick up on increasing our bone density which will happen over physical activity and blood sugar uh, as I I just mentioned before. Uh, One of the best ways to regulate our blood sugar is by doing exercise. Um, It could help to reduce the amount of bad cholesterol in our blood, the LDLs, the low-density lipoproteins, and increase the healthy cholesterol in our body, the, the HDLs. You know, get blood work every once in a while to check that out instead of weighing yourself on a scale. A scale does not pick up on blood cholesterol, does not pick up on blood sugar, it does not pick up on bone density, and certainly doesn't pick up on the improvements that we're getting to our cardiorespiratory system, let alone picking up on perhaps maybe we're getting stronger and we're lifting more weights or we're going longer on our walks, jogs, or swimming. The scale doesn't tell us those kind of things. So if we need a metric, if we need to be measuring things, I suggest throwing away the scale and any levels of body composition and focus on these other numbers. They're much more important. They're much more changeable and sustainable over time. So those are the components of fitness, and that's my soliloquy on body composition. So cardiorespiratory fitness, muscular strength, muscular endurance, flexibility, and body composition. Now we're going to move on to the principles of fitness fitness, which we need to apply to the components of fitness. The first principle of fitness is the principle of overload. Overload means we got to basically challenge our bodies beyond its current capabilities. And this doesn't mean we need to suffer. This doesn't mean we need to go to complete exhaustion. This does not mean that you know we need to uh, be completely out of breath all the time. Overload involves, there's several different ways to manipulate overload. So frequency is one of them, intensity is the other one, and duration is another. When I gave you the recommendations from the CDC, you know, 150 minutes cumulative a week of moderate physical activity, right there, you know, it gives you at least the duration, 150 minutes of of physical activity in a week at an intensity, moderate. So we have mild, moderate, or vigorous intensity. Um, And that's based on heart rate. Frequency then can be broken up. As I was saying earlier, you know, that 150 minutes could be, um, you know, broken up into five days at 30 minutes, that's frequency. Or, you know, perhaps, you know, five days where we're doing two 15 minute intervals, or it could be three days at 45 minutes. There's so many different ways to do frequency, intensity, and duration. Think about how often frequent we are physically active throughout the week. We can overload our system by being more frequent in our activities. We can overload our bodies by being more intense in our intensity. Often if we're doing things that are more intense, more moderate or vigorous physical activity, increasing our heart rate, Oftentimes, we'll reduce the duration in which we're sustaining the physical activity. So again, how long are we being physically active at one time? Is it, you know, minimum, it's recommended to try and, you know, be physically active for at least 15 minutes. This allows our body to metabolically go through different phases that are necessary in order to become more aerobic in nature, uh, which is good for our heart and lungs the duration of physical activity you know trying to at least for 10 or 15 minutes being physically active in time so think about all the different ways that we can manipulate the levels of our physical activity throughout the week through the frequency how many times a week are we being physically active or throughout a single day uh, how long duration are we being physically active and at what level of intensity and i and i want to let you all know here you know in the research shows that the most health-enhancing benefits that we can have occur at a mild or moderate level of physical activity. Take that into note. We don't have to completely suffer and be in all kinds of pain. It's shown that you know just mild uh, to moderate walking is golden in so many different ways of improving our health. Now, there is a lot of you know health-enhancing benefits of high-intensity physical activity. But again, this should be for people that are conditioned, know what they're doing, or at least under supervision and being able to do that. So that's the overload principle. The next principle of physical activity is progression. You know, and a lot of people get in this trap when they start a new prescription or, or, or regimen of being physically active. You know, they'll do too much at once. Get really sore. You know, then it's not super motivating to be physically active when your when your body hurts. Incrementally increase the overload, you know, the frequency, intensity, and duration over time. You know, do it small steps. We talked about James Clear's atomic habits where people you know, 1% improvement each day leads to a 37-time-fold improvement within one year. That's progression. You know, just 1% a little better every day will be a good way to progressively increase and and sustain that increase over time. So I I know at the beginning of something, motivation's high, and, and we're wanting to conquer the world, and and, and it's very easy, and I've, I've been subject to doing this too, is you, you know, get a, a little too motivated at the beginning, do too much at once, and then in the long term, isn't that great? So the principle of progression, which is accompanied by the principle of recovery. You know, our body is wonderful, like I said earlier. It adapts to the demands that we put on it, and so we got to give it time to recover. Uh, and replenish a lot of the physiological, biochemical uh, derivatives that have been expended in the process of being physically active and allow it to replenish itself get to where it's restorative and then engage and back in physical activity again. Because our body's gonna recover in a way that we're gonna be able to adapt to the stress that we just put on it. So if you haven't been walking at all and you've started walking maybe a quarter mile, you know, you give yourself enough time and be progressive over it. You know, the next time you might be working, you know, walking a half mile and then giving your body time to recover and progress. And then you just keep building and stacking from there. So recovery is, is a big one. Uh, specificity is another principle. So if I'm looking to improve my cardiorespiratory fitness, um, I'm not going to go to the gym and try to do a, a lot of strength-based exercises. Again, maximal exertion through one repetition of movement with a lot of rest in between. I'm not going to be really working out my heart and lungs. And vice versa. You know, if I'm looking to improve, you know, my muscular strength, it might not be the best thing for me to to do, you know, an hour's worth of uh, walking. That's not necessarily going to be it either. You know, if I'm wanting to improve, you know, upper body strength, I'm going to want to specifically do things that are improving my upper body or lower body or vice versa. Being very specific towards what we want to do is very important. The last principle. Of fitness, I'm going to talk about right now, I think it's one of the most important. It's variety. Variety is so important for so many different reasons. Look, there are so many different ways to engage yourself in a wide variety of different physical activities. I mean, a smorgasbord of things out there. Don't get stuck in doing one thing. The wonderful thing about our body being adaptive is wonderful, but it also can be a trap. I know a lot of friends, and, and I was like kind of in this place at one, one time too, that would stick to one thing. So I was jogging five, six days a week for a long period of time. And, and my body got very adaptive to it, metabolically, neurologically, skeletal muscular wise. You know, I was doing it for such a long period of time, it got used to it and the health enhancing benefits of it started to wane over time. And I, I didn't have enough variety. I needed to start integrating things that neurologically my body wasn't used to um, or skeletal muscularly or cardiorespiratory. So i started start swimming or biking. Um, or doing other forms of, say, muscular strength and conditioning that my body wasn't used to, or flexibility. And, and incorporating this kind of variety is so much better for the body because the body, if it's not used to those exercises, um, will adapt and, and have to go through that process of you know, neurologically or skeletal muscularly or respiratory wise Having to figure out how to how to adapt to this new form of physical activity that we're doing and the health enhancing benefits really explode at the beginning of learning something new or doing something that we haven't been accustomed to in a while. So so for the physical health benefits, it's very important, but also for uh, motivation. You know, it can get boring doing the same old, same old all over the time. So incorporating a lot of different things can be really good and motivational and inspirational to changing things up. So those are the principles of fitness, overload, progression, recovery specificity, and variety, the spice of life, right? So keep it variety. Um, I'm gonna end here with uh, just blasting through some, some basic, I think, just tips that could be really helpful in terms of being physically active. You know, if you do have a disability, learn how all the different ways that you can adapt and modify something to, to meet your own uh, unique capabilities and levels of function. And if you don't know how, Turn to those people that are into exercise and sports science and or physical therapists or even orthopedes and, and whatnot can be uh, a place of entry if you're not aware of that. Or, you know, there are uh, certain gyms that do have people that are very aware of how to adapt physical activity and they might have personal trainers that are able to do this. So learn how to adapt it, and, you know, and learning from others is, is, is one of those tips. I'm going to say that the form and and, and how we do our physical activity is very important. And making sure that we're learning that from others is critical. Otherwise, we could really injure ourselves if we're not engaging in a physical activity that is sound mechanically. Uh, for our bodies so make sure that you do that make sure that you got the right gear for things you know we don't have to get all geared up necessarily to to look good flashy and have the best you know kind of gear for it but having like for example if we're going to be walking or running especially having the appropriate shoes for the type of feet that we have for the type of ways that you know they call it the gait when our foot hits the ground is so important to have the right gear, I'm calling it, equipment, shoes, whatever it may be um, that when we're physically active that is safe for us to do. Think about the time of day. You know, if you're going to be doing structured physical activity throughout the day, Think about what time of day works best for you. For me, I'm a morning person. I, I like to wake up to phys, you know, doing physical activity. It gets my, you know, body awake, it gets my mind awake, it gets me prepared for the day. Some people like to do it during the day, some people like to do it at the end of the day. What what floats your boat? And carving out the right time of the day is so important. And if there's a way to integrate physical activity that's maybe not structured physical activity into your day, um, just, you know, instead of commuting to work uh, in your car, if you're able to do it in a bike or if you're able to do it with, through walking, what's really interesting is is uh, you know, there's these studies out that look at centurions throughout the world. And there's some pockets throughout the world that they call the blue zones, where um, the longevity of people in certain areas, there tends to be more people that live towards 100 years old than others. One of the things that they found out is, first of all, they don't do structured activity for most of them. They just have physical activity incorporated throughout their lives. And many of these cultures live close to the ground. They don't sit in chairs. They sit on the ground. For those of us that have the physical mobility to be able to do this, I I invite you to try sit down on the ground and go to a standing position versus sitting in a chair and going to a standing position. The chair has such a mechanical advantage. It really gets away from the point of standing from the ground where it's that dead space, where it's a lot harder. Those of us that have kids and have had to sit on the ground playing with kids and they go to standing will know this very well. That it takes a lot more effort and energy to do that. People, you know, in these areas tend to live closer to the ground and not sitting in chairs that give us all this mechanical advantage. And, and do we need to circle the parking lot, you know, for 10 minutes looking for the best parking space, or can we be okay with parking the farthest away that we need to go to increase the steps? Um, you know, if we have the physical mobility to take stairs instead of elevators. Do that, incorporate that into it. This is what I mean about integrating more physical activity uh, into our day. There's all different kinds of ways if we really put our heads to it, that we can best do it. I listened to a lecture from a researcher not too long ago uh, who had a very convincing body of uh, research that showed that if we were to be physically active after we eat, uh, we would pretty much eradicate diabetes. His thing was walking. Again, not everybody can walk. Maybe you can roll. Maybe you can do it with a, a wheelchair that is not powered and or whatever, again, adaptive ways of doing this that we can do it. You know, His thing was is that if people were to walk, you know, mild to moderate walking for 15 minutes every time after we eat, you know, we would restore our glycogen and insulin levels in a way that was equilibrated. Instead of just sitting around or laying around after we eat, You know, walk for 15, 10, 15 minutes. Take a walk. This, again, is another kind of tip that if we we were able to do this, we could really uh, experience some health enhancing benefits to it. If if you are engaged in structured physical activity, have some alternative plans in case it doesn't work out. So, for example, if you plan on going outside and doing something uh, physically active, you know, and the weather's bad, what are you going to do? You know, what's the plan? Instead of the weather uh, getting in the way of you being physically active, have an alternative plan. If you're going to go outside and shoot hoops with people, and the people don't show up, what are you going to do? So if you're relying on social, you know, supports, if you're relying on equipment, you know, if you don't have certain equipment available uh, to do the physical activity that you're planning on, what other physical activities without equipment? And there's so many. Uh, get educated on what they are youtube it i mean there's so many different physical activities that we can do without equipment so i say all this to say to have alternative plans for for things that are maybe out of your control that yeah will get in the way of you being physically active the the top reasons why people are physically active be mindful of what yours are people may be physically active for health enhancing you know benefits people might be uh, physically active for social benefits some people might be for body image. There's, body image is a real issue uh, that we have here in the United States. While more women tend to uh, report higher levels of negative body image or body dissatisfaction, the, the prevalence of body image and uh, body dissatisfaction is increasing at a faster rate in men. So the prevalence is increasing faster in men. It impacts men, too and is a motivator for people to be physically active. Like, summer's around the corner, want to you know, look good in a bathing suit or I'm going to be in a wedding and want to look good in that is a motivator for people as is stress management and a variety of different other kind of things. Which motivation is the, the most impactful in terms of lifelong adherence to physical activity? Because at the end of the day, Uh, I hope physical activity is something that we do throughout the lifespan. The number one motivator that is associated with lifelong physical activity is stress management. Body image is useful, but only for short, acute times, like I mentioned then it's not that motivating. It's an extrinsic motivation, it's external. We're uh, doing it for impressing other people or adhering to social, cultural, normative beliefs about the ideal body image. And, and so it's a very fleeting motivator. Um, health enhancing re- can be good for people that are older. But when I was in teaching at the University of Florida, and we would be talking about the importance of being physically active or eating right, and say, well, you know, it's going to prevent heart disease. It did not resonate with them. They already think that they're indestructible, and, and they're not doing it for health-enhancing reasons, but for stress. Stress management against social-emotional kind of well-being, that is associated with lifelong adherence to being physically active. And I got to tell you, that's the reason I do it. And I can see why, you know, because every day I know I'm going to be walking into piles of stress, whether it's in my personal life, whether it's in my professional life, it's just life. And during these times, more than ever, people are experiencing all kinds of different stress. And so for me, I get immediate results from being able to handle my stress better because I am engaging my body in the way that it is gearing itself up to be. As I said earlier, when we go through stress, our body's gearing up to be physically active and I go and uh, be physically active and more in alignment and congruence uh, with my body in, in doing that, so that is a good motivator. Know know your motivators and, and why you're doing this is another tip, so uh, making sure that you're in line with your why is a huge one. Because if you are able to go that extra mile and adhere to this physical activity, it may be harder, but it is never crowded on that extra mile. I'll tell you that because most people aren't able to do this. So align yourself with the the right motivation and take care of your body. It's the only place that you will ever live, truly live, is in our, in our own bodies. So take care of it. And, and physical activity is the one i believe one of the most important ways that we can do that on the next couple episodes we're going to talk about other ways of taking care of our bodies that the more i learn about them the less sure i am that physical activity is number 1 we're going to talk about nutrition we're going to talk about stress you know take care of this sacred temple that uh, we occupy that we live in it's our only home true home that we'll ever have and, and let's keep it in order because we want to make sure that you know, we have the energy, the vitality that is needed to live the independent life. A life that, for my hope to you all, is one that we take onward and upward. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.